Requiem of the Outcast for April 2005. Spe- this special edition is brought to you unedited and complete in their opinions. That includes some cursing. Sorry to the young and fan at heart. Now, usually cursing is uh, not something we allow, but I wanted the opinions of these two men to come across as raw and personal as possible. Thank you, and come back again next month for our usual unpotty mouth format. The Sci-Fi Superiority Complex, Elitism in Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror, read by T. Morris. When I was putting together my review for Van Helsing, I hopped onto imdb.com to double-check cast names and character spellings. Some of the comments posted were less than favorable, but that is to be expected, as it is impossible to please everyone. However, reading these jaded comments coincided with an email I received from a friend inside the con circuit, an email concerning her con's general attitude towards having a media track. Apparently, it quote-unquote dumbed down the convention, and was hardly worth the time or the effort to be mentioned, regardless of the track's impressive panel attendance numbers. Reading these comments, both for Van Helsing and this con media's programming, brought to the forefront a concern that I've been dealing with more and more as an author, an issue that will, I have no doubt, be given new life thanks to this latest film from Stephen Sommers. I'm talking about elitism, not in the world as a whole, but in our corner of it. Elitism in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. I entered the professional writing scene in 2002, so I'm relatively new to this side of science fiction, fantasy, horror world. But I knew before signing the contract that part of a writer's job is to promote, and that unlike mainstream literary genres, science fiction, fantasy, and horror has a unique network of promotion, the convention circuit. I've hit a lot of cons since my first book rolled off the presses. It's been a real education, and I've also been having a ball. No complaints or regrets along the way. Well, maybe that's not entirely true. One particular convention revealed an undercurrent of this industry, a faction of science fiction, fantasy, and horror that carries extremely strong opinions concerning media interpretations of our genre. In a nutshell, this faction believes that movie and TV science fiction, fantasy, horror dumbs down the genre, appealing to only the lowest common denominator of a fan. A few of the cons guests were heard proclaiming on their panels that the real difference between Trekkies and Trekkers was not a generation thing. But people who understand and respect the science of Star Trek versus people clueless to what true science fiction is. Media fan, this enlightened few continued to state, is the best blanket statement used for the lemmings following Buffy, Farscape, or Babylon 5. In her article, Capclave 2002, Wither the Fen, Jean-Marie Ward of Crescent Blues Ezine commented that, quote, A number of writers and fans argued that anyone who wanted to join their club needed to play by their rules. They talked down Buffy the Vampire Slayer and many iterations of Star Trek, then wondered why the dozen or so under 30s, the younger side of the fan spectrum more familiar with media offerings, turned to the writers who shared their interest. I myself have experienced such scorn. I've had award-winning authors make mocking faces during my answers to media questions from the audience and one award-winning editor literally speak over her shoulder to me, her back being the only thing I was granted to make full eye contact with, all because of my position on media, science fiction, fantasy, horror. The more I watched and listened, and the more I witnessed with my own eyes and ears, the more it was impressed upon me that media fans were deemed as mindless drones not smart enough to read and not needed by those in the literary circles. Maybe these enlightened few in the genre need to get that knot out of their spacesuits. You know the one I'm talking about and where it is. And face the truth. Media science fiction fantasy horror is what continues to make this genre a popular one. 
Google searched the top 20 grossing films of the past few years. 15 of them are in the genre of science fiction fantasy horror. If you adjust the money numbers to include films of the past, half are in our genre. And if the media is so beneath us as an expression of science fiction fantasy horror, does this mean that television shows from Rod Serling's original Twilight Zone, Robert Block's original Star Trek episodes, Harlan Ellison's hand in Babylon 5, or Stephen King's X-Files script are nothing better than mindless hack jobs? Hardly. These writers didn't step down from some lofty position of literary excellence, but merely stepped up to the home plate of television to raise the bar for other writers of media offerings. Media productions are widely successful as Farscape, the Star Trek franchises, Babylon 5, and others do not attribute their accomplishments to the accurate description of space travel, physics, and biologies. Their success is seen and heard in the intelligent stories. Their scripts are not great departures from their literary counterparts, but merely told in different mediums, appealing to the dreamers in all of us. Media science fiction fantasy horror has propelled this genre into the mainstream, with Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek leading the way. It is the media that gets people interested in the genre, reaching beyond the select few that continue to be subject to a negative stereotype. There is still a risk to come out and say, I am a fan of science fiction, even with the genre's presence in the mainstream. Proclaiming one's love for science fiction fantasy horror immediately conjures images of socially challenged individuals with nicknames like the Great Unwashed, Basement Dwellers, or the blanket term Geek. Still, the fans are out there. Perhaps we are the truth Chris Carter talked about. I'm one of them. I initially discovered acceptance for who I was, what I had to offer, and was promised a utopia of ideas, backgrounds, and interests. But, the deeper I descended into fandom, the more my eyes were opened to a mindset that the Gene Roddenberry pool was horribly contaminated. And it is high time to run the genre through a pure water filter in order to flush out the media pollution. It is the great contradiction in a subculture such as fandom which prides itself on acceptance. I found that the negative attitude towards media stems from the low-quality productions that syndicated television currently offers. And perhaps when you use such examples as Beastmaster and Mutant X, there's a strong argument to make. I would also argue that nothing beats reading the genre. Media science fiction fantasy horror reaches the masses in a far easier manner than literature, and for those fans who limit themselves to only television and film as their science fiction fantasy horror intake, they're missing out on some incredible wonders created by new modern authors, such as Wen Spencer, Walter H. Hunt, Tony Ruggiero, and others. I would not, though, support the elitists in their blanket statement, all media SF is unintelligent and damages the credibility of our genre, certainly not in relation to all media science fiction fantasy horror of past, present, and future. Even The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, a fantasy film that did the impossible in winning the 2004 Oscar for Best Motion Picture, has been rejected by elitists as substandard for the genre and its reputation. As I stated earlier, I know you can't please everyone, and that people will have strong opinions over what is and isn't good science fiction fantasy horror. But different opinions are hardly a hall pass to snub fans of media offerings. Being such a fan, I wanted to find out why this attitude continues to exist and grow. What I discovered didn't make me feel any better. The elitists tend to blame fantasy authors for the quality of fan attending conventions and buying books. I read in a report from the 2003 Worldcon in Toronto, Ontario, that the guest's overall attitude was concern over the decline of the genre. Science fiction, once again, could not generate sales like fantasy. A possible reason given? The general public no longer had the patience, aptitude, 
or intelligence to read science fiction. All they wanted was fluffy, escapist fantasy with no real substance or depth. Now, isn't that a great way to win over new fans? The divide between science fiction and fantasy within the genre is far wider than I expected. Perhaps this divide is vast on account of the differences between them. Science fiction can back up all of its fantastic creations with either theories or concepts showcased in scientific journals. Fantasy, on the other hand, relies on faith and imagination to explain magic, dragons, and immortality. Sometimes, leaps of faith are not good enough for the elitists, and therefore they easily dismiss the depth of modern fantasy. One panelist I shared a discussion with on originality and fantasy showed no hesitation in showing her disdain for the genre, as she said, You don't need characters to drive a fantasy. Create a good setting, add in a quest, people will buy it. Some of my peers, though, go even further than this. I've been told point-blank that fantasy is for readers too dumb for science fiction. It is this kind of mentality that perpetuates the earlier mentioned typecast haunting this genre and its readership, and also intimidates others completely unfamiliar with it. When I tell people, outside of fandom circles, that I write science fiction and fantasy, instantly the tone of the conversation changes. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to understand that stuff, they respond concerning science fiction, while they also proceed to tell me, fantasy isn't the kind of book I understand what with the mythical creatures, twin moons, and the like. I've heard these statements everywhere, from social settings to my own interviews with NPR's The Program, broadcast here in Washington, D.C. Later on in the same conversations, I will mention The Lord of the Rings, or Harry Potter films, and quickly I find myself on common ground. Great flicks, the same people would say. And in the same NPR interview, when asked, do you think there is only a select audience you're reaching with your work? I responded with, just look at the top grossing films. More than just fans of the genre are attending these films, so I truly believe we reach a wider audience than just con attendees. All I can wonder is, what feeds this overly educated basement dweller's stereotype of science fiction fantasy and horror fans? What separates us from the people who don't read science fiction fantasy horror, but view it instead? I have seen people who balk at the size of a typical fantasy or science fiction hardcover. And for the price of one hardcover, you can buy three movie tickets and get the entire experience handed to you on a silver platter complete with visual effects and soundtrack. I have also witnessed and heard one story too many of science fiction fantasy horror authors who believe that if you don't understand the concept in their book, be it a magically based hierarchy or the basic mechanics of a faster-than-light drive, then you don't have the smarts to read their material. As for the elitist attitude driving a wedge within its own ranks, the growing sales in fantasy over SF could be the main reason. Fantasy does not lack substance simply because it avoids explaining the basic concept of terraforming in a trinary star system. It merely entertains one imagination via a different avenue. Concerning my own taste, I spend my day behind a computer, editing HTML and JavaScript, when I'm not writing, of course. While I get a bit of help from Dreamweaver, I tend to code a great deal by hand. When it comes time to decompress or unwind with a good book, science fiction doesn't always help. Reading a few paragraphs on the theories and details behind a supercomputer's artificial intelligence, or in one case, a few pages on how faster than light travel happens in the future, is hardly relaxing. Especially when I have to read said material two or three times over, and then try to remember what it has to do with the story itself, and where I am at in the story. I want to get as far away from computers as I can. So a book about the Vatican trying to recover the Holy Grail, demons squaring off with elves for Pittsburgh, or a boy wizard trying to survive his fifth year at a school tends to fit my needs. 
This does not make me un unintelligent or ignorant, nor does it make readers who find hard SF a relaxing read wrong, nor does this point of view turn me or you into an elitist. My literary desires are what I prefer, not making me right or wrong, just different. I would never deem hard SF as too dry for consumption or a quantum physics textbook with a plot, because that would just come across a bit arrogant. Just because it doesn't appeal to me doesn't make the material inadequate. Different tastes, right? Elitists, however, would claim I is stupid, in light of their claim that fantasy has no depth compared to true science fiction. And I haven't even begun to go into what elitists think of horror, the red-headed stepchild of the genre. You want to make a... You want to start a... Mm, take two. It's all about beer. Yeah. Yeah. You want to start an argument? When an author says, my latest work is dark fantasy, reply with, oh, you mean horror. Make sure you wear a good pair of running shoes and scope out the best places to duck for cover. Horror author Tony Ruggiero, a good friend of mine whom I tour with quite often, has caught the hammer blow of this elitism from other science fiction fantasy authors. Why? because of media offerings such as Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween films. People assume that horror is a slasher film, and to me, that's not horror. Horror should be scary. The gory stuff is optional. And Tony, I can assure you, is hardly influenced by horror films. Why? Because he doesn't watch scary movies. Not even the good ones. So just to recap, for the elitists, which includes fans and writers alike, fantasy lacks substance, and horror should not even be mentioned in polite company. If so, where do the Founding Fathers fit in? Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, Shakespeare, yes, William Shakespeare. Were they no better than hacks? And what of Mary Shelley? When Dr. Frankenstein created his monster, all we were told was that he created life, electricity playing a key element in this process. Now, considering the story, did Shelley really do her research? Since Bram Stoker is best known for a vampire novel, should he continue to have an award name after him? And after all, he did write that horror drivel. And if this is true about Stoker, which of the elitists will be given the order to revoke Stephen King's National Book Award honor? I can't help but wonder, if you were, put, if you were to put our founding fathers and mothers of this genre into a room with nothing but what the elitists are pitching as proper SF, how many of them would be smart enough to get it? And while we are on the subject of Stephen King, let's listen to part of his acceptance speech on winning that National Book Award. In his acceptance, King recognizes that literary elite, in saying he himself has no patience for, quote-unquote, those who make a point of pride in saying they have never read anything by John Grisham, Tom Clancy, Mary Higgins Clark, or any other popular writer. What do you think? Do you get social academic brownie points for deliberately staying out of touch with your own culture? He asked. While this is a strong statement, and perhaps even a warning, to the literary snobs that deemed King's National Book Award as a black day for American literature, his words should also reach the elitists in our own genre, those who are turning their backs on science fiction fantasy horror that reads mainstream America through film and television. And now, we come to how the film Van Helsing fits into all of this. The movie is getting a mixed bag of nuts when it comes to how it's being reviewed. But keep this in mind. One, the movie opens with an angry mob wielding pitchforks and torches. Two, the first spoken dialogue, it's alive, alive. Three, the introduction is shot all in black and white. Clearly, 
This film is not to be taken seriously. But fans of the genre are approaching this movie as if it is the next great epic a la Lord of the Rings. Even with a bit of special effects and action thrown in for good measure, Van Helsing does not put on airs, suggesting that it is nothing more than a creature feature from the Saturday Night Fright Fest seen on television. Not every film can be grand scale, have character development, or show spit-polished writing, nor should we expect them to do so. If every science fiction fantasy horror movie needed to be important, then we are facing a future of pretentious, self-righteous, speculative cinema of intellectual ego-stroking. Perhaps there is a lesson we can take from this monster mash. Should we take ourselves, ourselves being the writers and the fans of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, so seriously? After all, I myself am writing about pirates, dwarf detectives, elves, and magic talismans. I take my writing very seriously, but I also keep it in perspective. Am I trying to change the world? No. I'm just loosening up and having a really good time telling a story and inviting you to come along for the ride. I'm not saying we can't make an impression, nor am I saying we need to lower the bar of quality. We should demand 100% from our movie makers, our artists, and our writers. But I do not think we should be excluding the various outlets that science fiction, fantasy, and horror offer. We should encourage such avenues, for it could be a collectible card game, an anime, or even an entertaining romp like Van Helsing that could attract someone curious about the genre to delve deeper into it. I also believe we need to just take a step back and question what is being deemed as proper in science fiction fantasy horror. Van Helsing is hardly an innovative, groundbreaking monument to cinematic achievement, but it is very much in the same class as Kill Bill, Army of Darkness, Baba Hotep, and Big Trouble in Little China. This is the film where you prop your feet up, dig into the popcorn, and have a little fun. Something I think we can all afford to do, especially in this genre. Damn, I forgot how long that was. I know. Yeah, I know. I forgot too. <laughs> oh, shoot. This thing wasn't recording. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and now a response from Michael Pedersen, the editor and publisher of The Nth Degree. I know T rather well. We're often scheduled on the same panels at conventions, and I've reviewed two of his books. And we spent many hours debating movies, so when he steered me toward this article, I just had to put in my two cents worth. As someone who is making a career out of documenting fandom in its many forms, I publish a semi-pro fanzine, I can easily see both sides of T's argument. It's true that fandom can be very elitist, but I tend to view it as a defensive reaction. Fandom as we know it dates back to the 1920s, when it was strictly about SF literature. Conventions started up in the 1940s, also strictly devoted to SF literature. Fantasy, although having as long a history as science fiction, is really a newcomer to popularity. Fantasy began making progress in the mid-70s and continued growing until it recently surpassed science fiction in sales. Its Johnny-come-lately status and the preponderance of Tolkien rip-offs have been the reason behind the snobbery towards fantasy. And I tend to agree there, there as well. It's too easy to write a fantasy novel without doing a bit of research. That's not to say that there isn't good serious fantasy out there. It's just that the hack jobs have dominated the market for a long time. And now that science fiction book sales are being beaten by fantasy, although I don't know if this would be the case if you subtracted Tolkien and Rowling from the sales totals, the uh, science fiction writers and readers feel a bit abandoned and occasionally lash out at fantasy. The media bias is a similar story. I attend roughly 20 conventions a year, including media, anime, and gaming cons, and have noticed some disturbing trends. I can go to a big media or gaming con and will move fewer magazines than I would at a science fiction con that is a third of the size. 
I've heard the same comment from book dealers that work in huckster rooms. This seems to indicate that there are fewer readers at media cons than at science fiction cons. And I doubt if anyone here would dispute the fact that readers are generally more intelligent than their non-reading counterparts. If anyone can be a media fan, and only serious readers are science fiction fans, then isn't this elitism a deserved one? I think so. Back in the mid-80s, when I started going to conventions, I remember how everyone looked down at Trek cons. At that point, Trek cons and science fiction cons were two very different entities. In the late 80s and early 90s, Trek became more culturally pervasive, and the cons started to intermingle more and more. It's not uncommon for me to be scheduled on two to three media-related panels at a major science fiction literary convention now. Another factor that leads to the elitism over media cons is profit. All of the major science fiction cons are organized by nonprofit fan groups. Many media cons are thrown by business corporations that are just trying to separate the fan from his hard-earned dollar. How can you not look down on that exploitative behavior? None of this elitism is a new phenomenon, either. In the 1940s, A.E. Van Vogt wrote a popular, now classic, science fiction novel called Slan. Slan were genetically engineered breed of humans that were telepathic, smarter, and just better than the run-of-the-mill humans. It didn't take long for the cry to go up that fans are Slan. Around the same time, there was another movement to create a commune in the Ozarks that would be populated by fandom. This smarter society would be their utopia on Earth. The elitism of fandom is not new and will probably always be around. I think the biggest problem that T brings up is the bad attitudes that pop up on occasion. In my experience, fandom is generally an open-minded, intelligent organization that will welcome just about anyone. It's these occasional snobs that spoil the party for everyone. What we have to remember is that they are in the minority. They can be quite vocal at times, but they aren't speaking for fandom in general. Fandom is in a transitional phase right now. It's not our first. Anyone remember the giant influx of gamers in the late 70s or the goths of the mid-90s? And it won't be our last. First fandom is getting smaller every year, and we aren't getting a very large influx of replacements. If somebody starts grousing about the media kids or the fantasy fans, just remember that they're probably missing the way fandom was when they joined it. That's natural, and everyone does it. I bet money that in 20 years you'll probably be wondering what happened to the fandom of your youth as well. And now a point-counterpoint with T and Michael. Well, for starters, T, you came off as the angry young man in your little rant there. It, uh, you definitely seem to be pissed off at something. And, uh, I, I think that you were, you were conveying a lot of personal... Uh, there, there, there seemed to be a lot of personal animosity uh, towards you that you were trying to get over. It really came out. Um, Are you going to ham- hyperanalyze I'm, me or the, the article? Well, well you know, <laughs> I, I think that if we get past your motivation for the article... Oh, oh, okay. Then, okay. you know, I... I, I you do you want me to say there was something in my childhood? Do you want, do you want to say, did my mommy not love me enough? Did yeah, my daddy yeah, a lot beat of good me? Points, you know, you know <laughs> it, it sounded like, oh, people don't respect me because I write fantasy. And, you know, get over it, man. <laughs> Patterson, you snobby, elitist slut. Let me tell you something, okay, bucko? You know, I mean, the, the whole point, the reason why you, you thought that maybe I was coming, coming across as the angry young man is that maybe you didn't read it carefully enough... <laughs> Or possibly, because I just read the article, you didn't listen to me enough. Now, it is not uncommon for you to shut me out. I've seen you do it. I've seen you do it on panels. So I would never shut you out. Oh, bullshit. You always shit. I would never. Oh, that's right. It's podcasting. I can say say shit. Um, So... So yeah, you know, but but here here's where I was coming from. I was I was an angry young man when I wrote that, and you know what? I'm still an angry young man because I, I will, you know, the the author that must not be named was just coming across as like.
like, oh, I'm coining all these new phrases. I'm sitting there going, oh, really? And are you splitting the atom in your spare time as well while buffing your new... Well, you know, you've got to go you, you, you remember that people that are on panels are there basically to promote themselves. And that's what this person was doing. Which is true. But you know what? We weren't in a panel. We were in a fucking bar. Which means that, you know... Um, and I thought I was a slut. I really did. I thought I was the ultimate you whore. Are. I am. However, you know... I don't go around. I don't walk around a bar holding my books up, you know, going, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm sorry, I just don't do that. Now, granted, the other thing that, I, as I mentioned earlier, was the difference between my ego and the author that will not be named, is that people bust my balls anyway. So I expect people to bust my balls because, as well, it's as, just, it's just it's plain just fucking fun. Right. So, so the the point I'm getting at is in the article is that's what we should be doing. We should be having a lot of fun. I don't think that there is any room for this type of snobbery, especially in this genre, because people are trying to say, well, I'm writing science fiction and fantasy with a big capital L for literature. But I quote the great R.A. Salvatore when he said, you know what, I'm writing science fiction and fantasy with a big capital E for escapism. That is why we write what we write. Oh, absolutely. And, and but, you know... Also, he's agreeing with me. Did you get that? Did you get that? <laughs> I, I had to repeat I, it one I, more time. I agree that there is a place for escapism. But, you know, but. there is just so much escapist literature out there that dominates the field. Now, um, escapist literature or bad escapist literature? Bad escapist literature. Okay. Which um, I would agree with you on. Which I would agree with absolutely. you on. Absolutely. There, there have been some books that I've read that made me go, why, oh, why were the trees killed and the ink used, or, excuse me, wasted, in printing this piece of shit that I'm reading? It's, well, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a... We've got history to back this up. You know, look at the 1950s. For the longest time, if you said the words science fiction, people assumed big, giant, mutated bugs. True. And or chicks you know, in spacesuits. Yeah, or chicks in spacesuits. And you know, finally being attacked by the giant mutant yes, bugs. Yes. Right? <laughs> finally, Star Wars helped us get past that. And you True. know, after Star Wars, the the big giant mutant bugs thing finally was in the past. We we we'd gotten over that. I, anyway, I back it up. Would you say it was Star Wars, or would you say it was more closer to Planet of the Apes? Planet of the Apes, you got to admit, in the 1970s, it, it uh, 68, a, yeah. in 68, had a huge impact. And you know, 2001, 2001. You know, I mean, I I think, but but I, but I also think that that. That was probably the start of it, but I think Star Wars was was the when it became a cultural phenomenon. And I don't have a, I like like you said earlier. I don't think I think a little bit of elitism is okay. What I resent and what I was coming across to the angry young man was the fact that people are saying my science fiction fantasy is better than your science fiction fantasy. It which is. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It is all. It, we should be. You know the whole the whole point of fandom is that it's one great big melting pot, and hey, everybody's invited. Unless you are a fan of this, or you're a fan of that, yeah. or you're a fan of this, or you're a fan of that. I mean, you know, I respect, I respect the, the, you know, the, 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 the Xena Warrior Princess that, com that comes up in full regalia at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. I don't have a problem with that. Granted, I think she should be hitting the Atkins diet a little more strictly, but that's just one person's opinion. You know, personal opinion aside, you know, you can say you know, someone may like one thing more than another, and their opinion is valid. But, you know, when it comes down to analysis of what is better, you know, if you sit down and analyze the literature, uh, for example, you know, it, it, Neil Stevenson is miles above uh, Dan Brown. You know, Dan Brown may sell more and be more popular and everyone is reading him, but Neil Stevenson is a better writer. Um, Neil Gaiman is a better writer. China Mieville is a better writer. Douglas you know, Adams. So. Douglas Adams is a, is a better writer. Was. Was. <laughs> Excuse me. Was. Was. Uh, God rest Bruce Sterling, you know, uh, William Gibson, so many of these people that, you know, write so much better fiction, 
but they're drowned out by these hacks that are writing out uh, this popular fiction that people are looking at and going, this is what science fiction is. This is what fantasy is. However, but, 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 I'm, but the point I was trying to get at was is that while, yes, there are plenty of hacks, and I even did mention that. Yes, there oh, are absolutely. hacks. You know, stuff, I mean, I watch, I, well, I shouldn't say I watch, I can't even have it as background noise. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World, I mean, first off, someone show me a Cro-Magnon prehistoric chick who's got perfect blonde hair, perfect boobs, and perfect makeup every freaking day. I don't buy that. You know, I mean, stuff like stuff like that. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Lost World. Even where where I get uptight is when people are saying, "But Media SF is just crap." That was part of what 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 most Media SF is crap. You see, I would disagree. I think I think the 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 crappy Media SF is actually outweighed by better media SF, and I'll give you—I'll give you a good example. I'll give you some examples. As we said earlier, 2001, Planet of the Apes, the original, not the remake. Um, the, uh, things, to some extent, to some extent, even Logan's Run, the 76 Logan's Run was a very good film. Um, and then, and then let's look at the television. You're—you're you're with me on this one, and it's horror. I don't care how you say it, it's horror. Brimstone. Absolutely. Brimstone was absolutely yeah. freaking cutting edge. Um, there was. Uh, there, there was a uh, the millennium, millennium. The, the original for every season one of those was, shows. There's a half a dozen crap shows that come out that you know last six episodes and go away. Okay, you know what? I, I will give you that argument. But the problem is, is that people are saying that all it's just that blanket statement. All media, SF, is is crap, and that's where I have. That's where I take offense. Well, you know, if there are six good media SF shows, there are you know forty bad media SF shows, and it, it, it it's the bad ones that people remember. The other, the, I think the other, the other point that I was, I was really trying to get across is that, is that we, we, in this genre, we, we should demand 100. percent We should demand 100 percent from our filmmakers, 100 percent from our writers, absolutely. So if that's the case, why are people lining up like lemmings to see, you know, episode one, episode two? We know episode three is going to suck, but we also know that people are going to line up around yeah. the corner to see it. That part I don't get. I feel like we should we should be demanding more from George Lucas for, oh, what, for what he's giving us. Absolutely. But I also think we also we as a as a fandom need to loosen up and be able to turn our brains off and have and have a little bit of fun. Like Shaun of the Dead. Is that great Shaun SF? Of the Dead is, well, it's not great SF. It's great horror. All right, it's great. Is it great horror? It's fantastic horror. All right, Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep is fantastic. But loved see, it. Right. But loved it. Would, you, what would you call it? Would you call it deep? Would you call it meaningful? Would you Would you compare it to Lord of the Rings? No, you can't. It's like comparing apples and oranges. I no, actually, I would call Bubba Hotep, you know, deep and meaningful. It's it It's not a deep and meaningful story, but it's a deep and meaningful character study. Uh, it's about a character, and you know, we it's really about Elvis. It's about Elvis. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about Picker. Really, but, a dual but, role. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, but I mean, it, it really gets into the character, you know, deep into his psyche. Which which brings me to my next thing. I will say this: that, that I I think that that um, the, the, the blanket statement that I that I heard on this panel, and I I, I wish I could give, and, and that was one thing that I was being given a lot of shit about in this uh, in this leaders article was that I didn't name names. And the reason why I didn't name names, real simple: one, I'm still very early in my career. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Two, this was a commentary. This was a commentary based on things that have happened to me, things I've heard. It's just bad mojo. It's bad mojo. And the third thing, too, this is the big, big thing, too. I don't remember anyone going up to Woodward and Bernstein saying, instead of calling this guy Deep Throat, get his name. Uh, and they never did that with him, okay? And they gave... They gave you know, you've got to work with these people. Right. 
And right. you're going to see them at other cons. Right. You don't want to go bad mathing with them behind their back. Exactly. And what, but what I resented was like that, like that one blanket statement. You know, just throw people a quest. Throw people, you know, who, who cares? The same person said on the same panel. There's a lot of truth to that statement. Oh, no, wait a minute. But the same person said this. Take a look at Lord of the Rings. We never got to know these characters as individuals. Or they're wrong there. Okay, and that's the point I'm getting. But the blanket statement was there was a lot of truth to that. That you know, a lot of fantasy since Tolkien has been stock characters, quest, throw them out into a world. I will, I, I will actually debate you on that point too. It wasn't since Tolkien. It was since Brooks. Terry Brooks. There you go. Sure. Terry Brooks yeah. did a variation on a theme. I know you hate Terry Brooks. I love Terry Brooks. I don't hate Terry Brooks. You just hate his books. One of my favorites. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm sorry. We're trying to get him as our guest of honor, aren't we? <laughs> Shit. Okay. Edit that out, please, yeah, for God's sake. Cut that. Yeah, cut that. Cut that. Cut that. But no, I will say this, though, about Terry Brooks. Terry Brooks even went so far as... And he gets snubbed by a lot oh, I'm of sure. other people. But I think part of the reason why is because he led the turnaround for fantasy in the science fiction genre. Yeah. On top of that, Terry Brooks has said, point blank, he said, yes... I get a lot of my ideas from Tolkien. But if I'm ripping anybody off, it's not Tolkien. I'm ripping off Faulkner. Because the way he described it is, yes, I've got elves, I've got dwarves, I've got humans. They're all coming from dysfunctional families. And that made perfect sense to me when he told us, when he told us that. The, the point I'm getting at is that, that really what drives any kind of SF, whether it's something like Van Helsing, whether it's something like Baba Hotep, or even Big Trouble in Little China, if, if we don't really get into the characters... You know, then, then yeah, it's crap. That's my feeling. It's absolute crap if we don't get into the characters. Oh, yeah. But the blanket... Yeah, that's the, what it comes down to is good characters. Exactly. That's in anything. In anything, whether it's media, but... but and I, I have to admit, I didn't see Van Helsing. Uh, well, yeah, well, but because you, know, you had the whole physics thing. You don't like the whole physics yeah, thing I with the horse well, and the carriage and all that stuff. It bothers me that, you know, you know, I love the fact that they tried to do an homage to the old... Um, Hammer House Hammer House. No, not Hammer. They were, it was the Universal Pictures. The, true. The, the, the original I got more horror the, stuff. Yeah, but you see, I got more of the impression that, that, that Ben Helsing was more about the Hammer, the Hammer House of Horror films, where they didn't take the classics and rewrote them. They just took the classics and they prison raped them. Because, I mean, <laughs> there, was no, there was no classic called The Curse of Frankenstein or, you know, The Cousin of Frankenstein Twice Removed. No, you know, those, those were the Universal Pictures, where the, the Curse but, of Frankenstein and you know, Bride of the Monster. And right, all which was, but but didn't Hammer? I thought Hammer. No, had Hammer did the the mostly did the Dracula stuff. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Seven Wives of Dracula, Christopher Lee, yeah. and, and, and Cushing, Cushing, and all, all those yeah, guys. Those are the oh, films. God bless him. Yes. See, that would have made Van Helsing perfect if we had had a, well, maybe a, a, a cameo. If they'd had a cameo where Chris Lee just walked across the stage and went hello and then walked off, I would have <laughs> been thrilled. But that's just. Me. But you know, I, I appreciate that they tried to do an homage. But then when they start, you know, throwing in things like you know the. Uh, the, the carriage jumping the bridge and, and the gadgets. The, the gadgets. The, the gadgets are what really bothered me. They've got weapons that you couldn't even build today. And, and this is taking place in Victorian horror novels. But, but, horror but, horror. but when you argue that's just like steampunk. I mean, that's the same it's thing. It's like steampunk, but it's not a steampunk movie. It's, it, it, it's <clears> a universal homage. Uh, it's an homage to the monster. Well, why can't a universal pretty, homage be a steampunk movie? Wait, we're getting off topic, aren't we? Which is what we do. Yeah. We do that often. Yeah. When we, well, I, when I would just say you're willing to completely accept the fact that vampires, Frankenstein, and the dead Absolutely. have come to life, Absolutely. but <laughs> but, but a, a reloading, uh, rotating barreled crossbow is a little too much for you. <laughs> That's my draw the line. Same with um, Pirates of the Caribbean. I got no problem with uh, undead zombie pirates. But when you throw a pistol into the ocean, pull it back out, and fire it later, that's what I got problems with. Come on, Scoob, those pirate ghosts are okay. <laughs> they can't have guns. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, you know, I can go God into a damn. horror movie, you know. And, and agree, don't fuck with our physics. Yeah. 
That's P H U C K. P H U C K. Don't fuck with our phys- physics spelled with an F. <laughs> oh, okay. There's your next cover. There's our there's, next cover. There's your next cover. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and you know, I got, I, I did, I, I caught a lot of, sh- and I'm still catching a lot of shit. I mean, it was it Shiva? I mean, I wrote this article last summer, and at ShivaCon. One of the guests walked up to me. He's like, "Oh, now I know why you're so familiar." And he's standing for my books. So I thought, "Oh, hey, he's read my books. Cool. You wrote that you elitism wrote that article. article." I'm like, "Oh my god!" And and we 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 started actually talking about. It. He's like, "No, you made some you made some pretty valid points." However, dot dot dot, you really pissed off a lot of people in the genre, and yeah. that wasn't my intent. My intent was not to piss. You can't put out a negative, you know, comment like that without pissing someone off. Because people are going to take it wrong. Right, and and I think what, what I'm noticing is that is that most of the people who most of the people who read the article, what I'm finding out is most of them are misquoting me. Yeah. Like they were like like I, the, I was catching hell. I was catching hell. Uh, I got misquoted from my response. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and I'm sitting there going, okay, well that's where that's where people are, re- are reacting on emotion. That's why I respect. Believe yeah. it or not, believe it or not, Pedersen, I respect your opinion. <laughs> Barely, but I respect. Well, no, I respect. When it comes to reviewing my books, I really respect your opinion. <laughs> but this is such a bore. <laughs> but see, you ignorant slut. <laughs> Or at least I imagine you respect his views until the next one. Until the next yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Until the next one. Um, as long as he's got another book coming out, though, you know, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good place to hit this. Pucker up. <laughs> Pucker up, buttercup. <laughs> but, but I will say this. I will say that, that um, I think what Stephen King said, we should really take to heart. Yeah. Because I don't think that you should get, I don't think you should get snobbery points for for completely uh, you know dismissing something. I mean, case in point, um, one of the big things that, that I've heard people talk about is um, <clears throat> about how media tracks dumb down and media guests dumb down or a bad influence on, on a literary convention. And I'm here with Lonnie Tupu <laughs> from Farscape. This is not a plug. This is something really serious. Lonnie Tupu has no has I shouldn't say has no interest. He has some interest in taking the workshop that we're doing, called From Page to Stage, adapting literary works for other mediums. He wants to take that to media cons, fine. He really wants to take it to literary cons. Why? Because, one, there are more writers that come to conventions. More intelligent people at literary cons. (laughs) Okay. Um, You know what? He said that, not me. Uh, That, of course, was Mike Pedersen. Thank you. That was not T. Morris, the ignorant, the ignorant <laughs> slut. And, you know, when you were saying about how you don't move as many nth degrees and, you know, you're, you're giving away for free, which I, I don't y- get either. Yeah. Um, I will say this, though. I've gone to uh, I've gone to media cons, and I've actually outsold books at media cons versus, uh, versus the stuff that I'm, I, I'm selling at some literary cons. I've gone to literary cons, and I've sold maybe three books. I've gone to media cons. I can easily move ten books in, in two days. Yeah, you know, I'm giving these away for free, so people have no excuse for not picking them up. Right. Uh, but I'll go to a 500-person uh, literary con, and I'll go through 200, 250 <laughs> copies of the magazine. I'll go to a 2,000-person uh, media con, and I'll go through 50 to 100. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing difference. It, 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 and and, and just to, an, to an extent, I will agree with you on that. I think, I, I, I think that, that the... <clears throat> I do think, though, that, 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 that with, with, the, with the fans in general, I think what, what is so good about Media SF is that it does attract new fans, which you said in it your does. article. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, right now, fandom is getting older and older and older, and when I go to these cons, I notice that the younger audience 
are the ones that seem to be the ones that are that are getting disrespected by a lot of the literary my, guests my problem because they're, they're doing the gaming and they're doing yeah. the literary and the media. And I'm like, but you know what? These folks will eventually say, I'd like to, I'd like to, to try something different. If it wasn't but for the trick is we got to get them over to the literary side, right? You know? And that's that's the hardest part. That is the hardest part, which is something I think we can both agree on. Absolutely. You know, that's that's where I have a problem with the elitism. Um, you know, I, I I do agree that there is a place for it, but you know, when it starts turning to snobbery, and they they start looking at these kids coming in playing, you know, um, you know magic and or or Legend of the Five Rings, exactly, something like, something like that, <laughs> and they look at them and go, they're not worth our time, you know. And and you know, that's that's a bad that's, that's a bad because you got to look at them and say, you know, this is a gateway. You know they're gonna they're gonna start with this, and we can you know from there bring them up to Tolkien and yeah. and Niven and, and, Brooks, and Sterling and Gibson and, Gibson and Gibson, you know all those guys. Um, and and you know and, and I, I really do feel that 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 while yeah we should demand we should demand our our hundred percent from all of our writers, at the same time we should allow ourselves to also relax and have some fun in the genre. As I said as I said you know the, the movies like Ben Helsing. Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, which beautiful to look at. Beautiful to look at. I mean, was had about as much depth as, as the air rifle. Yep. But you got to admit, Lawrence Olivier, Sir Lawrence Olivier, was absolutely incredible in this cameo. And he was, you know, I mean, wow. You know, he's a good actor if he's been yeah, pushing up the daisies yeah. for several decades, and he can still put out a winner yeah. performance. But the but what I loved about about movies like those and Army of Darkness and um, and Bubba Hotep, Big Trouble. Um, which you know, uh, and just as a completely off the wall side note, I'm astounded that the same guy who directed movies like Halloween, Big Trouble, and um, oh, and his remake of The Thing, which I thought was incredible, probably the best thing John Carpenter ever did, is the same guy who's who cranked out Ghosts of Mars. Oh, I know what I know. happened yeah. to him. But that's for that's for another podcast yeah. at another time. I mean, I really think that that. It's these media offerings that that we we shouldn't dismiss. We can't dismiss it because it really is what is keep. It's the I really think the media, the, the the media SF offerings. While some people just want to dismiss them as crap, I really believe they're the lifeblood that keeps people coming to the genre. Yes, but you've got to have that higher level. You know, if that's all that there is. Uh, it, it, it becomes kind of pointless. But, the, but you've got to have you know something above that. You but know, then you've it got something to, to to aspire to. You know, however, good. However, comma, what about what about people who, who who turn Shakespeare, for example, Shakespeare into, you know, it's high art, it's literature. <laughs> Everyone, Otai, just bring your friend hither. That sort of thing. But it, Shakespeare was written for the masses. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It was written for the masses, and we should never lose touch of that. It's the same thing with media SF. It's for the masses. It, and science fiction and fantasy shouldn't be for just those select few. It should be for everyone. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, we need a drink. Uh, absolutely. We need a drink. We need more alcohol. We need more alcohol. And, um, and uh, yeah, so let's go. <laughs> I think that's a wrap up. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. This, of course, was recorded at StellarCon. Yeah! Oh, no, 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 Tony's back! That, is, that was a manly hug from these two gentlemen. So everybody knows that there is still peace and love between two opposing opinions. I'd just like to again thank T. Morris and Michael Pedersen for their time. You can find T at the aptly named tmorris.com, T-E-E, 
M-O-R-R-I-S dot com, and Michael at the once thought ironically, then realized it was something oh so much more, nthzine dot com. That's N as in Nancy, T-H-Z-I-N-E dot com. And don't forget to check back within the next few months. We'll be back to our regular episode schedule. Until then, you can subscribe to our podcast and you'll get any content that I release during the month. Remember, you don't need an iPod or an MP3 player to listen to a podcast. Now, believe me, folks, with the interviews I've done at StellarCon, plus the ones that I'll do at that little con called uh, Celebration 3, you want to hear every minute. Now, don't forget to keep in contact with us via our forums, our newsfeed, or the Roto line at 206-333-1138. Remember, any calls that you put on there, we might stick in the show. Coming soon, all new format, all new projects, and all new sweetness from RecreamOfTheOutcast.com. Oh my gosh, that's so friggin' sweet.